Welcome back to the Board Game Battles podcast. I'm your host, Randall, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Hello. Hello. It's episode 24, and it's been two years' worth of episodes if we were recording monthly. We're not quite <laughs> at that point, <laughs> but uh, we're doing pretty good. So um, we're, uh, and it's been a bit a while since our last episode. Drew went on a little vacation. He was yes. on his motorcycle going along the coast. Uh, were you in Victoria as well, or was it just... Yeah, I got I got into Victoria for one day, and it was it was raining. <laughs> so so yeah, there you go. But yeah. it's nice nice uh, riding, I'm sure. Oh yes, sweet. Uh, today we're going to be talking about two ex- space exploration games that both use cards um, as one of their main mechanics. Um, you'll be colonizing and conquering planets and developing technologies in Race for the Galaxy versus Eminent Domain. And then following that, we're going to have um, a little discussion about Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. It's been out now. It came out this month, earlier this month. And we've had a chance to peruse it a bit, some more than others. But, you know, we've, we've gone through it. We've got a good sense of it. So we'll talk about it and give you our thoughts on the final, final release product. But anyways, let's get into it. Our first game, Race for the Galaxy, yeah, released back in March 2007 by designer Thomas Lehman. He, uh, he's done a ton of stuff. He's been around for, what, 25 years, according to his, uh, his body of work, starting from 92 with some game called Time Agent. Um, and most, and, and to be true, most of these games I've never heard of, uh, uh, not until we get to Race for the Galaxy in 2007. But then from there on, most of the stuff he's worked on, it, it hasn't been a Race for the Galaxy expansion, it's been an expansion for some other game. He's done expansions for Saints Petersburg. He done all of the notable expansions for Pandemic, um, even for uh, I think Pandemic: The Cure. He has a, an expansion he's done, um, and then going on to 2014, where he starts going into the role games, where he designs Roll Through the Ages, and then Roll for the Galaxy, which we've talked to before, uh, talked about it before on this podcast. So the guy's just a, a workhorse. He's done so many games, and he's done good stuff. But and I hope his previous stuff is good. Maybe someday I'll get a chance to check it out. But who knows? Um, so the artists for uh, Race for the Galaxy uh, for the original, we're just concentrating on the main um, box without going into any of the expansions. We've got Martin Hoffman, Klaus Stefan, and Mirko Suzuki, uh, publisher. I just wrote down Rio Grande Games. That's the North American publisher. Um, but there's a ton of other publishers associated with it as well, um, depending on the area you're in. Um, there'll probably be a notable publisher who releases it for you. Uh, categories, you got card. it's a card game with civilization, economic, science fiction, space exploration in, um, themes built into it. Mechanisms, hand management, simultaneous action selection, variable phase order, and variable player powers. Scores a respectable 7.8 out of 38,000 ratings on BGG. And they have a weight of, they say a weight of 2.98 out of 5. I don't get this weight on BGG. They always seem to be too high recently. They do. And the only reason I can see it being a bit higher is a bit of a learning curve with this game with the symbology. Like the game itself is simple as as all. You know, it's a fairly easy game to play. But the symbology isn't that hard either. Like, well, and it shouldn't be enough to, to throw the weight off like yeah. that. Yeah. You wouldn't think. Um, like, I feel like it's almost a full point off of where it should it be. It should be, yeah. yeah. It should be like closer to a two instead yeah. of a I'll, two I'll be honest. Once we get to eminent domain, I thought the same thing there. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're both, sure. I think, too high. Yeah, uh, probably. They're both probably rated. I think most things on BGG seem to be rated a bit high, and maybe it all depends on who's actually rating the weights. I don't even know how you rate, you know, do weight on BGG. I've never actually looked. Because I know how you can go in and, and rate a game on, you know, what you think it is. Yeah. But as far as weight goes, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious where that's actually, like, where that gets added. I don't even know if people, if people do that or if, if, if it's, it's just uh, their own, like, the site people yeah, are doing it. If it's BGG coming up with these scores. I'm kind of curious now. Maybe you, you know you, and you'll let us know. I, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen anything that we've done that's been below two, have we? And I don't think we've so. We've done some pretty simple. It says yeah. it's community rating. Is it a community rating? But well, says it is. Hmm. So there must be somewhere in here where you're... you're, um, you're although um, weight isn't precisely defined, the game pages now reference a complexity rating, mm-hmm. which they define as community rating for how difficult a game is to understand. Lower rating, lighter weight, means easier. Hmm. Yada, so yada, yada, yada. A, a near three for this game puts it in the... like. The 60% higher range yeah. kind of thing of difficulty, and I would have put it below 50. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's clear that our schools are failing us. <laughs> That's right. Um, and yeah, they've got they've got to take into things like how different, because when you really get into this game, and we get into the rules and, and the discussion in this game, you'll see how cards can play one off of one another. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. things to keep track of, not could maybe add to the weight of it make make it feel a bit hard heavier because you can it, go as simple as all you want with this game and not really pay attention to too many of the card if it's powers. your first game or something maybe it, like if people are rating it based off yeah of this is their first foray into something a little more complex than like monopoly yeah well but, i remember the I first mean, time i ever played this game and it was um probably about six years ago it was at something called the canadian board game blitz it was this big thing that used to um it was mostly a down east thing but it also traveled a bit and so they had it here one year um and this is when i was fairly new into the new genre of board game like the new whole thing with board games um our our our, our, um common friend kelsey um i think sort of introduced me and my wife into some of the newer stuff because you know i've been playing board games since i was a kid um of varying types because back then um games workshop used to come out with a lot of different types of board games, not just 40K and yeah. all that. And, you know, the original Talisman, even you know, for what kind of game it is, was, you know, one of their early ones. And then they had a lot of their different types of games. And so I've, I've been playing board games for a long time. But there was a big gap between then and, you know, up to 10 years ago where um, I hadn't played anything really current, like any of the German-style games. And, and so when I went to this board game Blitz... Um, it was a thing where you'd play all these different games. You would get assigned to a table. You'd play the game, and depending on how you did, you'd get to assign to a new table and play something else. And this was one of the first games I played that day. I'd never played anything quite like it. I wasn't familiar with it. Everyone else who at the table did know it, and so it was a, a steep learning curve because, you know, I get all these cards, and okay, these cards, and as we go through the rules, you, you'll understand these cards have multiple purposes. You. You want to recruit a card, but you can only recruit a card on certain steps. And the cards were also your currency. And, you know, so there's a lot to take in. Like, so once, maybe we're biased because of our experiences. Yeah, well, you know, go 10, you know, five, you know, six or seven years down the road. Something like that's almost quaint now. You, you, 
you understand all these different types of mechanics. People will throw new mechanics at you, but really it's just, okay, well, this is a variation of that. It, this is a card draft. This is a variation on card drafting, or this is a variation on um, action selection or whatever. So, See, I, I take it like game that we can sit down and you can explain the rules to us if we've never played it before in the amount of time it takes to set the game up. I don't right. consider it a complex game. That's true. Yeah, and and this game... When when you when you have experienced players who maybe not experienced with this game, but experienced just in playing games, board games period. in general, it's not that hard to to explain this game to people. So maybe um, that's where the weight is coming from. Then for that, could be more people get into it, and it's like this is definitely more complex than what I used to play. Click on, just click on the weight. Click on weight. Oh, um, on the number? No, uh, that's like complexity rating. Can I click on that? Yeah. Oh. Go to poll. Ah, uh, so you vote. So on the site. You click on the little complexity rating on the bottom, yeah. and you get to vote on what what you think it is. But I think that I think the default, if you say nothing, like if you just add it to your collection or mm-hmm. whatever, and, and and don't change it, I think it just defaults to medium, which is three. Maybe. Uh, okay. Because I I don't remember selecting weight for anything. No, but, I've never but, selected weight before. Yeah. yeah but when I go, weight. so I I have a Greco in my connection collection. Yeah. And if I go into the weight. Um, it says like like my my weight for it was uh, was medium, even though I've never like I've never yeah. chosen it. So I think yeah. the default is is just medium. Hmm. So that which, would imply it's lower if a lot of people aren't voting with what they're adding to their collection. It mm-hmm. would keep it at a three, and then yeah. anyone who's voting it lower. I considering it, that they say a three is medium, it's good to know what the different numbers mean. Like yeah. light is one, medium light is two, medium is three, medium heavy is four, and then heavy is five. So in that light, if you think of a three yeah. as medium, yeah, I could see that. I don't know, but I, I think it. I, I think if that's what they're doing is is like setting a, a default of three. Yeah, that that is that that's is skewing, skewing these it. weights big time. It yeah. would. It definitely would. Because yeah. I would have put this between a two and a two five. If the, if three is medium, mm-hmm. I would have put it in between about yeah. two and a two point five. Like a, between medium light and medium. Yeah. 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 Very potentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Anyway, so now you know. Now we know how you rate weight. So that's good. To, that's interesting. Um, okay, well, let's go on to the the various things now. Uh, rule book. Um, being an old game, you know, game from two thousand old two thousand seven. <laughs> it's only eleven years old, but in the game industry, that's old. That's old. It is. <laughs> it, it, it you know the rule book shows it. It looks like a, an older style rule book. It looks like the st- kind of standard Euro rule books you would get with an Alia game or something. You have um, your one side of the of each page is is mostly text and and the rules, and then on the left side you have a column that sort of breaks things down a bit for you. So this is like a how many pages are in this book? This rule book is like it's a 10, 11, 11, 12 page twelve page rule book. You know that's fairly big by you know today's standards, um, but the the rules are fairly easy to follow in here. It's just there's a lot of reading if you're not familiar with with the game, and you know if it's your first time picking this game up, it is going to be a bit to go through because you know you're reading through all this, then you're just like, then you're also learning the symbology because there's a lot of symbology in this game. So there's a lot of different icons and. You're not going to remember them, and so they they do give you a bit of a reference um, with it. And there's also good references you can print off on uh, BGG to help um, make things a bit easier for you as you're playing the game. Uh, but the rulebook, 
for what it is, it's, it's laid out well. It has some good diagrams in here, um, but it is a lot of text um, to go through and a lot of like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to keep track of what does it mean when, it, when a, a number is colored in as opposed to having a colored circle around it, that kind of thing, or, or if the number's gray for some reason, like what, what does all this mean? So you're, you're going to be, you're, you're going to struggle a bit if this is your first time encountering a game like this and going through the rule book. It's, this is the, really the kind of game you want to be taught than trying to learn just from reading, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, that, that said, it's a well-designed rule book. It looks, you know, it's not as glossy and, and fancy as the rule books you'll see in a more modern game. But uh, it does the job. It has special rules. Uh, if you're an experienced player um, playing two players, it has some special rules for that in here. Um, but otherwise, and then there's, a, there's about a good four pages at the back with just describing what the different um, symbols mean and, and the different styles of the symbols and, and how they play out. So there's a lot of that on the last four pages. So it's about eight pages of rules and four pages of reference. Uh, that's the rule book. Uh, components, cards. You're getting a whole crap load of cards. So you get a really big deck of cards. Um, there's also cards for um, each player. So every player will get a special set hand of action cards. Uh, but other than those, the rest of it is just a big deck of cards that you shuffle up. Um, there are some starting planets as well. So you keep those separate and then randomly give everybody a, 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 you know, a starting planet. But then once everyone gets their starting planet, anything that's left over for starting planets is shuffled in. So you get this big deck that's shuffled up. Um, and that's, that's it. And, uh, the, qu the quality of the cards is quite, well, quite good. Like this is a, like I said, a 2007 game. I have a, probably one of the original versions. I don't know. Um, we got, I got mine secondhand, uh, when I got it. So it wasn't even brand new when I got it, but it's, uh, survived quite well considering like it's, I'm sure it's gone quite a few plays through it. And the cards, they're, they're a bit of a linen finish to them. Uh -huh. For you know, for two thousand seven, that's pretty good, and they survived it, the, and they're not sleeved at all, so they, they survive pretty well. Um, so that's the components. You get a couple rep. You do get some cardboard references for everybody as well. So you get your your hand of action cards, a cardboard reference, and the cards. Uh, and then the box. Um, maybe it's a bit big for what you get, but it's not over. <laughs> it's very big for what you. It's get. very big for what you get, but it's not too big. It's not like some of those ones where you get this really huge square box and. You yeah, it's like pretty. A little, it's a small box, but it's, it's a smaller just bigger of the than what it needed to it, be. It is definitely bigger than what it needed to be. It's, it's still small. It's yeah. twice as big as it needs to be. Yeah. Oh, sure, <laughs> absolutely. If you yeah. take the insert out, you can get it all in there in a you know yeah. quarter of the size. Um, it plays two to four players. They say in the box thirty to sixty minutes, and even that's generous because when you have four players who who know what they're doing, it goes quick. It goes fairly quick. Thirty is probably pretty accurate for a, a yeah. four player game when yeah. everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. And they say an age range of twelve plus. Well, yeah. we were 12 plus. We're all 12 plus, so, and, and that's true. It works. Accurate. <laughs> but um, I could see if it's a younger kid, um, might be a little bit harder to teach them. Um, well, at least for them to, to pick up on, on some of the intricacies of the, yeah. you know, the card combinations. But not impossible. No. It all depends on your kid. Um, well, and if, if you've been playing games with them. Yeah, by the time you get time. to something like this, yeah. it probably wouldn't be too hard for them to pick it up. Uh, rules for the game. Like I said, everyone has a, a hand of action cards. These action cards range from one through five. There's five phases. Um, and a couple of the phases have alternate cards. So 
what ha- uh, well for us so so we had seven um, in our hand there's a yeah there's a total of nine cards you get two of them will go to the side unless you're playing two player yeah there's a special rule for two player um where yeah, you have two nine of cards. the phases had different actions yeah. that could be taken yeah, in yeah there's phases. two alternate actions in two of the phases the first phase which is called the explore phase has two different versions of a card then there's the um develop, uh, develop phase the settle phase um the commerce or what's it called uh trade, trade, trade. phase I know. I think trade was one of the yeah, sub cards. Yeah, trade's one of well, one oh, of right, the there's, there's two versions. Uh, consume. 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 The yeah. consume phase has two different cards, and then there's the last one, which is produce. So there's um, two cards for explore and two cards for consume, uh, and one for everything else. Um, so that's your action selection cards, and what it is is at the beginning of each round, um, there's no player order really. Everybody simultaneously chooses one of the seven cards that they uh they want to do for that turn um though uh once everyone's ready they reveal and then everybody does the phases that were selected so if one person chooses explore everybody will get to explore it's just whoever chose explore gets a bonus uh same with the other phases um whoever whoever chose that phase will get a bonus and everyone else will get a chance to do that phase as well just at a little bit lesser, you know, um, outcome. Um, then you go through each phase um, that's you know, acted upon. Uh, once everyone's gone through and done all their phases, that's the end of the round, and you start again. Everybody starts with a hand of... Uh, at the beginning of the game, everyone's dealt six cards, and you keep four of those. Um, the cards, the type of cards you're going to have in your hands are either planets or technologies. Um, they have a cost on them. I'm not going <laughs> to describe describe every little symbol. It's, it, it'd be impossible. But there's a cost um, in the uh, top left corner, and that cost is paid for in cards. So your cards have multi-purpose. Um, there's some there there are cards that you can play down in front of you, or they can be discarded as payment to get something in front of you. The different types of cards, like I said, there's technologies, and those are represented by a diamond and where the cost is. Uh, and those are done during the develop phase. So that's the second phase. Uh, technologies, what they do is they go down in front of you, and they typically give you some kind of benefit. Uh, sometimes it could be a discount for playing other things. could be for recruiting planets, or it might give you a military discount or whatever. But they'll give you some kind of benefit for playing it. Um, there's even some cards where it'll go down in front of you and then later on you'll discard it to be able to play something for free. Um, so those are different kinds of things you can get out technologies, but they count towards the end game and how this game ends is there's two potential, um, uh, end conditions. There's a pool of victory points in the center of the table and it's, I think 12 per player. And if that pool ever runs out, That'll signal the uh, the last round of the game. That you'll finish that round and, and be done. Or as soon as somebody gets twelve cards in their tableau um, in front of them, that'll signal the end of the game. Everybody starts with a a starting planet, and your starting planet um, there's about, there's a total of six different starting planets. You shuffle them up and give even one a random planet. Um, it might give you a it might have, give you a resource. It might give you um, some other benefit depending on which one you get. But that starting planet also counts towards the 12 that you need. 
So you'll have your starting planet plus 11 more cards to get down in front of you to trigger the end of the game. Um, the different phases. Uh, the first one is Explore. Um, there's two different versions of Explore. Uh, the, the one version is take two cards from the uh, top of the deck and keep one. If you're the person who played Explore, you get to keep um, pull an extra card and keep an extra card. So, well, if you didn't play Explore, you'll be pulling two, keeping one. If you played Explore, you'll be pulling three, keeping two. And so you'll you know, choose the cards and discard what you don't want. Um, the other version of Explore is pull five cards, keep one. Um, and I think there's no other one benefit to that one. I don't know if you no, can, that's you, right. Yeah, yeah, just five cards, just, keep one. Was it an extra five cards, though? Or was it, no, like, I is think it, it seven was, cards? I think and it was keep just... One? Or is it just plus three? I think it's just, um, do they have it here? Let's I never explore. used it, so. <laughs> you know, I think the only time I used it is when I um, had an ability that let me keep more than just one. Yeah. Um, a player who chose his explorer plus five draws five more cards to select from before making his choice. So five more, so it's seven cards. I guess, yeah, one. such a player explores by drawing seven cards and choosing one of them to add to his hand. Okay. So it's plus five to the normal plus two, I guess. Yeah. So. So you have seven cards, keep one, as opposed to two, keep one. If you're looking for something specific, it's a, it's good, a good way to, to really, yeah, mine through the deck to try to find something that you want to play specifically. Um, so that'd be, that's the Explore phase. Two different versions of Explore, but that's what you're doing during Explore. Develop, again, you're just putting down technologies, and you're paying for those technologies with cards out of your hand. So you want to you know get a good hand of cards. The hand limit in this game is 10. So if you can get that many in your hand, then you can you know pay for some of the bigger cards because cards get up to uh, six cost is the most expensive card in the game. Um, after develop is settle, and there's two ways you can settle a planet. You can either um, colonize it by discarding cards from your hand to pay for the planet, or you can conquer it using military might. Uh, some of your cards and, and some of your starting planets will have a red number in the uh, settle phase and that red number is uh, military might so if it has like plus two you have a plus you have a two military might and so what that does instead of discarding cards to get that planet as long as your military might equal equals or exceeds the cost of that um, military planet it has to be a red numbered planet then you can conquer that planet and put it down in front of you um, so military planets to conquer them, they have red numbers, regular planets to colonize them have black numbers on them. Uh, planets also have sometimes colors associated with them. Um, so a planet can have a, a filled in color or it can have a ringed color. If it's filled in, um, if it's gray, it's just a dead planet. What that means is it doesn't produce resources. Um, if it's uh, a color, a filled in color, like green, blue, brown or yellow um, that planet does produce resources and during the produce phase which is the fifth phase you can take a card from the top of the deck put it on top of or underneath that planet to show that that planet has a resource and that resource will be consumed during the, um, the consume phase um, so that's what a, a filled in planet does if you get a planet with a colored circle around it and again those colored circles will match the four main colors blue, brown, yellow, or green, that's a, um, a halo planet. And when you, get, when you recruit that planet, you get a resource on it right away. So you take from the top of the deck, put a resource on that planet to show that it came with a resource. 
normally resource planets don't produce additional resources. So it's like a free resource you get with that planet, which once you've spent it, more than likely won't come back. Usually won't come back. Um, the fourth phase is the consume phase. There's two different cards for that. There's consuming for money or consuming for points. And to play the consume phase, you have to have cards down in front of you that have abilities that trigger during the consume phase. So if you start the game with a planet that doesn't have a consume ability and you don't bring out anything right away, um, the consume phase will be useless to you because you'll never have an ability to use up a resource. Even if one of your planets has a resource sitting on it, you won't be able to um, use it unless you do um, the special consume trade action. Because um, as I said, um, you can consume for points or you can consume for money. And what the money is in this game is cards because you're paying for you're paying for planets and stuff that, and all that kind of thing by discarding cards. That's the equivalent of money in this game. During the trade phase, you can take a resource off of one of your planets and trade it in for cards. Um, and then it, it ranges from blue, which is the the least least um, expensive resource, I guess you could say. It, it produces the, the least up to, um, is it yellow or green? Yellow. Yellow, yellow is the uh, one who give you the most. So if you have a yellow resource, you'll get like, I think it's um, four cards, maybe four or five cards. If you have a blue resource, it'll get you two cards. So you'll discard your resource and get that number of cards off the top of the deck to put into your hand. So that's how that's the equivalent of money in this game. But that's the only way that you can use a resource and not have a, a special consume action on a planet. Um, the way the game works is if a consume action happens and you have any resources and you have appropriate consume abilities on your planets you have to consume if you can you can't just leave a resource on a planet and not consume it if that phase is happening and you have the appropriate actions and then last is produce um, during a produce phase all of your planets that can produce resources will so you'll take a resource like a card from the top of the deck stick it on that planet to show that it, it produced a resource if it already has a resource on it, it won't produce a second. So you can only ever have one card on a planet at a time. If you were the one playing the produce action, you can take a card from the top of the deck and stick it on a halo planet. That's the only way that halo planet will produce another resource. Um, so you have to do the produce action to produce onto a halo planet. So those are the five phases. And basically you just take, everyone takes turns, playing cards um, simultaneously. Everyone does the actions they can um, until either, like I said, the victory points are exhausted or someone gets 12 uh, cards in front of them. And in the games that we played leading up to this, it was both times 12 cards in front of somebody mm -hmm. yep. is what triggered it. I don't, we never got to the point where someone was taking so many... I don't even think we were close. Not even close to exhausting those victory point pools. Nope. Um, yeah, so that's how you play the game. So, um, you know, considering it's an 11-year-old game, I think it's still solid. It is I th a good game. It, you can see, like, you can obviously see where Roll for the Galaxy came from because it's a, the identical game, just you're rolling dice instead of using cards. Here you're using cards, right? So, yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything? Um, I, I think between the, like, Roll for the Galaxy and Race, I, I, I'm, I, I think I still like Roll better. Yeah. Um, but that being said, this has has 
you know, maybe a couple advantages, um, you know, there's, there's about, uh, you know, not counting promo packs. There's, I think there's four or five expansions for, for race. Yeah. There are definitely a lot there. of expansions. And I think some of the newer ones, I can't remember. I think some of the new ones almost surplant some of the old ones. I don't know how it all works. Like, I don't know if you would ever pick up all the expansions and combine them. <laughs> That'd be just yeah. insane. Um, I have one expansion. I haven't even played with it yet, but I, I have one expansion. The first one, um, which is called, uh, um, da, 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 it's listed here somewhere. The Gathering Storm? Yes. Thank you. The Gathering Storm. So I have that expansion, um, but I haven't picked up any others. Um, and there's five in total from this list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from what I hear, um, uh, the Xeno Invasion um I don't know that it's not compatible with the other expansions, but I think it makes it too much with the other expansions. Maybe I'm not sure. I can't. I haven't. I obviously haven't played it, but just some, I think maybe what I've heard, maybe even what I heard from Tom Vassell when he, he might have mentioned it. I can't remember. Well, the, the game stands alone though without the oh, expansions. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Well, you don't need them to. Well, make well, the I guess game one enjoyable. of my minor complaints with it though was when we were playing. Um, you know, it, it's just a base set and. I, I think what I would have liked is is to let's say get you know dealt out two starting planets and then you get to choose one. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, if it has more case, starting planets. Yeah, there's just not enough for you to be able to do that if, even with this. So it, you know maybe having I mean like one more expansion and and you know doing something like that. Yeah, because even um, the Gathering Storm comes with four start worlds. Yeah, so that <laughs> it gives you ten start worlds. It would be easy to Deal hand out two, two and, and yeah. choose one. Yeah. For a four-player game, it might even make it. I think it even gives you um, cards to do a fifth player. Um, I'm not sure. I think an additional player. Yeah. So the the Gathering Storm does yeah. give you cards to do an additional player. Yeah, which in in, in a simultaneous action game, I mean, why yeah. not? Like, it's not going to slow the game down any. Nope. No. You know, it's no, not it's like just you, you just need to have enough cards to act yeah. as resources and everything. So you pick up an expansion or two, you got tons more cards in there. It wouldn't it be actually hard. might make it a little more <laughs> difficult. Because you couldn't, like with four people, I didn't find, if you did an action phase, mm-hmm. the only one that I sometimes was left out of was the consume. Right. But every phase, you could, you know, every turn, because there's only four people and a lot of times mm-hmm. there's overlap, you're usually yep. doing three or two phases. With the fifth person, it might add in more phases. So better chance to, of getting well, all the you phases. You have to handle your resources a little better, basically, in You'll all be honest, some no, cases. Having every phase happen... Um, I think it would it, add something to the game. I'll be honest. I think it would take something away. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, that's that's happened to us in, in Roll for the Galaxy where, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of hedging, you know, like you, uh, like especially with the dice. And I know yeah. this is talking about a game we're not, you know, really comparing today. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, you, you had these actions and, and you, you know, depending on how your dice came, you'd, you'd kind of risk it. Like, you know, should I put them towards this this thing knowing that I'm choosing it? Or... You know, should I risk it a little bit, put my dice somewhere else and hope that someone else picks, you it. know, picks that phase? Because right. if if you manage to guess right about that, then, you know, you, you, you know, you can get ahead a little bit. Sure. But yeah. but but in this one, you know, I think it would be the same thing. Um, you know, I think there's there's something to. You know, it adds something to the game for you to, you know, for people to every once in a while not get the phase they were hoping for. Sure. But I think that one of the problems with this game is it was pretty easy to know what phase people were going to choose next. Well, depending on what was happening, yeah. yeah, you, like, yeah. But, with, but at with the same three... time, it doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't really give me any, any kind of advantage. Well, it, it did for me because it, it's like my first action was to develop in the, in the game. And then yeah. that gave me cards. So I never had to worry about exploring. And, and usually other people were And other people exploring. were exploring. Mm-hmm. So I'd get a card there. And then all I had to do was watch and wait for people to run low on cards. And it's like, okay, I don't need to worry about this. Yeah, they're low on cards. Oh, they have lots of cards. Yeah. I don't have to pick production. I'll pick, or not production, sorry, development. I'll pick settlement because there's a planet I need to get out. But like every turn I was getting cards. Yeah. Because I could see that someone was going to pick the phase I needed based off of their hand almost. Where with roll, you, I mean, you're... You're rolling you dice and it's see, all blind. Yeah, yeah, you can't see what the other person's rolled beforehand, so that it's a little harder to know. So there is a, it's a little more harder to select. You do have to gamble a little more with roll, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can phase. sort of give a bit of an idea, knowing how many. You know, you may not know exactly how many dice they're rolling, but you'll know if they're low on dice. Yeah, maybe a bit. Yeah, as opposed to this one, everyone's choosing one card and playing it. So who's hedging their bets that that someone's going to explore and hoping that they can do something in a later phase yeah okay but yeah that's uh that's race it's fairly like i said it's a fairly straightforward game especially mm-hmm. once you know how to play it it goes quick you know, four player and player count is irrelevant because again everyone's, everyone's doing simultaneous acting, acting. Yeah. yeah and you don't even really have to wait for people um unless there's something that um requires you to do something that has to wait for someone else which is very rare um, like you draw, you're all drawing cards from the. the it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter who first. draws first, yeah. as long as you all get the cards you need. Yeah, and I mean, there's, it's a card game, so there is that aspect of luck of the yeah. draw as yeah. well. That's yeah. gonna like some of the games, you're just not gonna have a good time because you can't get the cards you need. It's like you might yeah, be military and, based and never see a military planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might be. Well, have and, no and military was, and only see military it, planets. Yeah, yeah. like there, there was a game. Mar- Marcus and I. That's all we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Was military, and you guys didn't have military. And we didn't have military, <laughs> so it's like, well, I got this, yeah. I got this handful of cards that, I, well, I Useless. guess I just use them as, you know, money to buy other things. So yep. if you're like hyper competitive, this might not be the game because it it is luck based of draw, and sure. I mean, like all card games. Well, I think pretty what, much. Yeah. What I was thinking too is, you know, the 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 game the game time is is so short that. You know, I, I don't know if you're just hyper competitive. Yeah, just enjoy it. And, just enjoy it and move on. Yeah, it'll. Yeah. Be, you didn't get the cards you wanted. It'll be over really quick, yeah. and you move on to the next game. True. Yeah, like I said, the game goes quick. We played two games. You know, a little over an hour. It, and that was like one the first game teaching everyone mm-hmm. who hadn't played it before, and then you know second game. So it wasn't that bad. Um, yeah. It was really quick. Okay, so now we'll move on to Eminent Domain. Uh, Eminent Domain come out in 2011, so um, not that old. Well, seven years old now. So it doesn't doesn't seem that old, but I guess it is. Uh, designer Seth Jaffe, um, and when you look at his uh, his body of work, and it's mostly Eminent Domain and expansions for it. There's a few other things, something called Terra Prime. I'm not familiar with Out of Trains. Uh, he did an expansion for Dungeon Roll, the Winter Winter Heroes pack, and recently he's done something called Crusaders. Thy will be done. But uh, other than that, everything else is something to do with Eminent Domain. Um, it's a, he's on the main game, plus I think three expansions and one two-player version of the game called Microcosm. Uh, and the artist, there's a ton of artists on this game. Uh, Gavin Brown, Eric J. Carter, Christine Conrad, Jeremy, I'm not even sure if I spelled that name right, Deborah 
Deveraturda, maybe. I don't. Hopefully, I spelled his name right. And Ryan Johnson, uh, Patrick McEvoy, Hans George Schneider, and James Wolf Strell. So a lot of people worked on art on this game. He must have like really farmed it out. Uh, publishers: Tasty Minstrel Games, um, also ArcLight, Hobby World, and Pegasus Spiel. Uh, categories: it, it falls under card game, civilization, science fiction, and space exploration, which is pretty much identical. I think the only thing they didn't have in there was economic, like the uh, like uh, Race for the Galaxy had. This one, yeah, no, this it doesn't one didn't really have, have economics in it. No. So no, yeah. Uh, mechanisms, card drafting, deck slash pool building, hand management, and variable phase order. It has a BGG rating of 7.1 out of 8.1 thousand ratings, and its weight is 2.5 out of 5. You know that? I agree with Yeah, that's not too bad. That's about, that's about right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, let's see here. Rule book, it, um, being a little bit more modern, has a lot more, you know, it's a glossier rule book. Um, really well produced. It's um, has a lot of um, you know good pictures in it, showing you what all the different components are. Table setup, um, you know, good good. Um, it even has like a, some special um, rules you can go with if you're uh, want to spe- play a special learning game and how to set up for that. Uh, describes the turn order fairly well. Um, it's a it's a really nicely laid out rule book, and it uh, I, I couldn't really notice any um, any errors in it, and like. Sometimes you know you get these things and they're just poorly written, and this one doesn't doesn't seem that way. Um, not that we had to refer to the book a lot, but you know there was a, a couple times, and it wasn't too hard to find what we needed when we were going through it. I think yeah, the first time we played the game, we did miss one rule, and that was just mm. one little you know one thing that it's important rule. It was an important yeah, it was. rule. <laughs> it was an important rule. When we get to it, I'll let you know what it was. But um, otherwise, um, the book's laid out well, and. Um, yeah, you can't really um, fault it on that. It's a it's a nicely designed rule book. Uh, another game where the box is a bit big for what you get, but it's not too bad because you do get like a little board that does sort of fold out. You get a bunch of cards with it, and you do get some you get some plastic ships. So component wise, it's mostly cards again, um, but you get some wooden uh, resource tokens in I think there's like four different colors to represent food, water, iron, and silicon. Um, really, though, what they represent doesn't matter so much. They're, they're all basically the same. You get influence tokens, which are sort of like the, uh, the, the point tokens you get in Race for the Galaxy. Um, similar kind of concept there. You get player aid tiles. So, um, whereas most of the game are cards, um, there are some cardboard components as well. Um, all the start planets that everyone starts with are a thicker cardboard. Um, but though they look very similar to the planet cards that you can later on recruit, which are just standard cards. Uh, the cards were good quality. They were they were a bit of a lighter linen finish, but they were nice quality. Um, uh, there's also technology cards as well that you can develop um, as you play the game. And um, the turn or the way you determine start player in this game is you take all the player aid tiles, shuffle them up and get, hand them out and you flip them over and whichever one says start player on it, that's your start player. Um, in this game, let's see here. Uh, it's, it's a very similar, it's going to feel very similar to race of the galaxy in, in a lot of what it does, but it just does it in a different way because this is a drafting game, um, a card drafting game. 
everyone starts with the same hand and how in the center of the table is a little board that has all the um playing playing cards in little piles on it so you have um you have a card called survey you've got warfare colonize a double duty card called produce and trade and then research so there's five different card stacks in the middle of the table everyone will build a deck out of these cards um with the exception of one card that's not in the center of the table called the politics card. So your deck at the beginning of the game is one politics card, one warfare card, two colonize, two research, two survey, and then two of the double duty card, the produce slash trade card. So you have a, you start with a 10 card deck. You shuffle that up and draw a hand of five, and that's your starting hand. And how the game plays is um, you do have like a start player, so everyone's taking... Um, it's the main player who's really taking their turns and there is an opportunity on some actions for people to follow that action um, so the way the a turn goes is it has three phases in a turn um, you take the action phase and that's an optional phase every card well, m almost every card has a action on it that you can just play the, play the card in front of you saying I'm doing the action part of this card only you get to do it and you just do it um, based on what it is. If it's a survey card, you draw a couple cards out of your deck. If it's one of the other cards, there'll be another effect. After you do an action phase, then you have to do a roll phase and a cleanup phase. The roll phase is how you build your, your deck. And you take one of, the, one of the cards from the center of the table. So survey, warfare, colonize, produce slash trade, and research. You take one of those cards, put it down in front of you, and you're doing the roll phase action of it um yeah you're doing the roll phase action that's or roll phase that's on that card it's, the terminology gets a bit muddied here because you want to say action but there's also an action phase on it so it gets a bit hard to explain there but you do the roll phase um so it'll let you do something if it's survey uh, what you're doing is you're pulling planets from the planet deck and choosing one to uh to put down in front of you um, and then the rest go into the discard pile. Uh, you, everyone starts with the start planet, but it doesn't start flipped. So what you have to do in this game is you have to um, flip those planets and to, to make them count. Uh, and the way you flip it is there's two different ways. Every planet has on its back a colonize number and a warfare number. Um, so if you want to colonize the planet, um, you'll take the colonize roll and typically you'll stick the colonized cards underneath this planet. And when you hit the, the threshold for the planet, on another turn, you can the next turn, you can flip that planet. Um, if it's warfare, you have to collect plastic ships. And so every time you play a warfare card, there's a way for you to get ships from the center of the table and put them in front of you. Once you have enough ships, you can spend them to flip a planet based on its warfare number. Um, so that's the two different ways you can flip um, planets. Um, once you flip a planet, the planet will give you different benefits. Uh, quite often, there's three different types of planet in the game. There's fertile planets, advanced planets, and metallic. And all that really means is once you have those planets exposed on your in your tableau, you can then start um, investing in researching the technologies that are associated with those types of planets. Um, certain technologies, um, the technologies have three different levels. 
the base level technology requires to have at least one of the type of planet in your tableau. And then you have to spend a number of research cards um, from your hand to be able to get that technology. Uh, technologies will go into your hand as well, uh, unless they're um, a specific one that uh, stays just up in your tableau in front of you and is always active without you having to play it. Each of the three different types of technologies for Fertile, Advanced, and Metallic have two higher up um, techs that are double-sided, and when you earn them, you choose which slides you want and then play it up, play it up in, front of, in front of you on your tableau. Um, otherwise, all the lower ones just go right into your hand and become a card that you can play during your turn. And um, every turn, uh, you'll start, like I said, you draw have a hand of five cards. You'll be using those cards throughout your turn and potentially through other players' turns. And then at the end of your turn, you refresh your hand to five cards, either to by drawing more cards or discarding down if you ended up with more cards in your hand than five. Um, so yeah, uh, so during the roll phase, like I said, you'll take a card from the center of the table, put it in front of you. It, it'll go into your discard pile at the end of your turn during the cleanup phase. Um, but that's how you're going to get more cards into your, into your deck and, and yeah, start building things up. Uh, the different cards in the middle, as I mentioned, there's the survey. Um, the action for survey is to draw two cards from your deck into your hand. The role for survey is to get more planets so you can get more planets in front of you to work on. Uh, warfare allows you, the action is to get ships from the center of the table into your supply. Um, the role is to either get ships or um, conquer a planet. Couldn't you do that with the action too? Um, potentially. You might have been able to do that with the action too. I think, yeah, I think they're both very similar, I think. Yeah, with warfare, I thought it was the same for both. Um, yeah, so action is attack a planet or collect a fighter. The role is to collect one fighter per card you play because you can play multiples of these cards from your hand. Um, during the roll phase so like you'll grab one from the center of the table and if you have additional ones in your hand you can add to it to make it more powerful same with survey so when you're doing the survey one you're getting more planets to look at before you choose which one you want to put down warfare the more warfare cards you play during the roll phase the more um, ships you can get um uh yeah um, the colonize is, is similar. Um, the action phase, you can either settle a planet or add plus one colony to a planet. And the colony is when you're adding cards to a planet to get to its limit so that you can flip it over on, on the next turn. The roll is similar. It lets you add a, a colony per colonized cards you play. Um, there's also leader actions, which I'll describe in a moment, uh, meaning whoever chose that roll gets a special bonus being the leader and then everyone else can also follow that if they want you know playing cards on their hands to do the similar action uh, so colonize is to colonize planets um, produce slash trade it's a double um, it's a card that has two different actions on it so you're either playing it for the produce action or for the trade action and this is where resources come in um, similar to um, race for the galaxy where race would put cards underneath planets to show that it had a resource this one when you produce you'll take a, a token from the uh from the supply and stick it on your planet to show that it has a resource and trade is where you take that resource off a planet to get victory points um, both of them have an action um which either lets you produce or trade a resource 
And then the role is, again, produce a resource based on the number of produce cards you play or trade a resource based on the number of trade cards you play, whichever one you're doing. Um, but there's all when you're doing the trade, it's all about getting um, what they call influence points or influence markers from the center of the table, which is basically your points. Um, and then the last action is research. Um, uh, the action on research is how you can thin out your deck. Uh, so if you get a bunch of cards in your deck that aren't helping you, you can use the action on a research card to remove two cards from your hand that are in your hand from the game. Um, if you're doing the role of research, um, where you're grabbing a research card from the center of the table, you get to um, acquire a technology. That's where I, This is how you get the technologies. Um, though you have to have, for the very basic technology, at least three research to do it. Um, since your deck has two research cards in it, to, um, assuming you get those in your hand and you take the research role, you're going to meet the minimum three that you need to get the technology. Uh, a few of these cards don't have leader um, abilities, at least not until their deck runs out. Um, their stack runs out, I should say. So what that means is like Survey, Warfare, and Colonize all have a leader ability. So whoever is choosing that role in their action gets a little bit of a bonus um, for, for doing it. And anybody who follows them doesn't just, they don't get the bonus. But when you do trade and produce and research, they don't have a leader ability until that stack runs out. So then when the last research card is taken, then there'll be um, a leader bonus, which gives you like plus one research when you do that action, even though you can't take a card. Um, same with um, produce and um, trade. You'll get, you get a little bit of a bonus as soon as that stack runs out. Um, how the game ends. Oh, wait, one more. Oh, the, one there's more thing. the no. politics card. Oh, yeah, there's one politics card. Um, everyone starts with the politics card. Um, it only has one ability, and it's it's played as an action, and it lets you take a card from the center. So you know, during your turn, if you happen to have the politics in your hand, you'll more likely use its action as during your action phase to take a card from the, from the center of the deck that you want to pretty much guarantee you want to do that round and get it in your hand right away. And then the politics card is discarded. So it doesn't stay, actually not discarded, but removed, removed from the game. Yeah. Because it doesn't stay, once you've used it, it's gone. Um, it's just a way of, I think it's a way of helping you customize your deck a bit at the very beginning. So that's why they give you this one politics card, which you'll either get at the first round or second round, because you're drawing five every turn. Um, planets, certain planets will have special abilities when you get them flipped. Um, every planet will have a type of those three different types, which help you get to different technologies. But some planets will have different other abilities. They'll all, they'll all be worth a certain number of points. The cheaper planets will typically give you additional abilities, like um, they'll have a re they'll produce resources, or they might give you other abilities like um, increasing your hand limit size. Because you start with a hand limit of five, there are planets which will increase your hand limit to six or more, depending on how many of those you can get out. Um, if it's a planet that's worth more points, like a, they go up to like five points or so, maybe six. I don't know if we, I think yeah, it was six. Might have been six. Last. Typically, those planets won't have any other special ability. So just be like a planet that has a type and worth six points, and that's it. And then when you get the technologies, um, the technologies that you can research um, will typically have multiple symbols on them. So every every type of card, like I was describing, research, produce, produce or whatever, um, survey and all that, they all have a symbol associated with them. And technology cards will typically have 
two symbols. So like they might be advanced research, meaning it'll have the research symbol, but they might also have another symbol that it can pair off of, like colonize, so that you can use that card for either or during your turn. So you can use, it's multi-purpose. Typically, their action will be related to um, what their primary function is. So if it's advanced research, the action that's in, um, in associated with that card will be something to do with research. But then you'll you get a second use out of it with the second symbol. And then some planets will also have symbols, which will increase your ability to do things. So they can, you can get a, um, a survey planet, which will help you survey easier, or a research planet, which will help you get your technologies quicker. So that's what the benefit of having the planets, um, different, different types of planets out will get you. Uh, the game will end, um, depending on the number of players, um, the game is, end is triggered when a certain number of stacks of cards are depleted. So like in a four-player game, when two of the um, five stacks are depleted, when, when the second stack gets used up, then the, the game will end. And you, you end the round so that everybody has the same number of turns by the end. So depending on who the star player was, you might have another um, one or two turns before the game ends to try to get some more points. But that's essentially it. Um, the other thing that can trigger the uh, end of the game is if the influence supply markers run out as well. So that's similar to Race for the Galaxy, where as soon as all your um, point tokens are gone, that could trigger the end of the game. Well, in this one, it's influence tokens. And again, we didn't get that. We never got that far game. with the influence tokens, yeah. So there's two different ways to, to start to trigger the end of the game. Influence tokens or stacks depleted. In this one, it's not to do with how many planets you colonize. So um, there's no race to see who can get 12 or, or... Well, you never get 12 in this game, but four or five in this game maybe um cards out but um yeah that's essentially it it's just a race to see who gets the most uh points um by the time the uh, the end of the game triggers and that is eminent domain i miss anything i don't think so i think that was essentially it yeah yeah I mean, maybe the permanent cards from the technology i did mention those you mentioned them but yeah um, yeah, the, the two-sided that you can play in front of you, you have to choose one you power. You have to choose one of the sides. And then it's yeah. in effect for the rest of the game. Yeah, in effect for you for the rest of the game. So yeah, the, uh, the, um, the different levels, they, they have a level one, level two, and level three technology cards. Level ones require at least three um, research symbols in order for you to get them. And you have to have at least one of the type of planet it requires. Um, when you look at the uh, level ones, um, they're all pretty much identical across the three types of planets. Um, so you could go... It's just the symbols at the top of the card might change a bit, depending on, on which one it is. Um, level 2s is where you start to see some um, variation in the different types of planets. Like a, an advanced technology level 2 is going to be very different from a fertile or a metallic level 2. And then when you get to the... Um, and the level 2s all require 5 research to get out. And there's one level two for each type that is the double-sided where you choose what side you want and play it down in front of you and it's always in effect and then level three requires seven research to be able to get out and the level there's only one level three per stat um for per type and they're double-sided as well so you have to choose which one you're playing when you do it and you get victory points for the higher level ones yeah so. yeah and you definitely and for the level fives and level two and three or level twos and level threes they're worth victory points. So if you can get those, they're definitely worth it because you get some points out of it. Um, but they also require more of a type of planet. So like a level two 
you have to have at least two of the particular type of planet, be it fertile, advanced, or metallic. Uh, level three, you have to have three of that type of planet out before you can get it. Um, so yeah, anyways, that's eminent domain. So theme-wise, like you know, otherwise, other than the mechanics, when I first played this game, and that was, I don't know, I think it was like four years ago or so, I thought, wow, this is just like Race for the Galaxy, except I'm building a deck as opposed to using, you know, hand management kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I, I get the very same, similar kind of feel out of this game. Yeah, I think thematically it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because it's it's almost like he said, okay, I, I like Race of the Galaxy, but I want to make a deck builder. Yeah. <laughs> so this is how I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but you also notice it though in the and because it's um, as someone taking their churn time the game, it definitely takes longer than yeah. Race does. I did not like it. You did not like it. Nope. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I. It's, I mean, I'm giving away my vote at the end, probably. Okay. But this game is just poorly designed, in my opinion. Yeah, it. <laughs> you start off with nothing. You like, do because you, you you get a start planet, but you don't even get to flip that yeah, planet. You, you have, have to, to colonize it. it or warfare it from the beginning. Yeah, and that depends on your hand draw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can actually start the game with absolutely zero actions that are worthwhile. Yeah, and then yeah, there was actually a couple of times where you know, like I, I was just doing something because i couldn't do the things i wanted to do and then there's the whole it basically takes two turns before anyone even has a planet because you have to first put cards underneath of it if you're going to colonize it and then the next turn take the action or the colonize role to flip it over before you have a planet to start doing things you can't do research without a planet you can't do production or trade without a planet Surveying's pointless because you don't need more planets until you have your first one colonized. That's true, yeah, because you're just getting... Well, you can use it as the action yeah. for, to draw two more cards yeah. to hopefully get something that you can use if you got a shit draw for your first hand. Mm-hmm. But it, it just it, there's too much reliant on having your first planet. And then you get a random planet. Everyone gets a different one. But there's definite disparity in technology mm-hmm. power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's like <clears throat> if you get stuck with the poor technology planet to begin with, you might not ever recover because that planet's technologies will be gone to someone else before yeah. you can colonize a planet that allow you to get it. And it's only the level two and level three cards that matter because all the level one techs are. Essentially the same, just yeah. different symbols. Yeah, they're a little bit different symbols, but they do the exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, their cards yeah. are the same. But yeah. that means you're one planet behind the person who, say, got metallic first. They right. can get another metallic planet to start and colonize. And then they get the better technology and you're just... It's catch-up from that point on. Right. Uh-huh. And it just... You, how are you even getting your first like why don't you start with a planet you're supposed to be a civilization that is Mm -hmm. colonizing why don't you have a starting planet to Uh expand from where are you getting your military to conquer this first planet if you don't have something in the first just a (laughs) ragtag bunch of hobos space hobos i guess yeah yeah you're just a a junk fleet floating through space trying to get your first planet i guess i don't know yeah I'd, i'd at least agree with that like i i um I would have liked to have had a planet already started, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and with, you know, some sort of different ability would be nice too. like, you, yeah. you know, make it 
I guess, asymmetric right from the beginning. Right. Well, maybe not like not asymmetric, but variable power, right? Yeah, yeah. Give, give everybody something to start with. Yeah, that's the difference here, too, <laughs> because at least in, in Race to the Galaxy, everyone's start planet gives them something, like some kind of maybe ability mm-hmm. that someone else doesn't have, whether maybe it's a, a better explorer or gives you some military that you can start using right away, whereas this one, you have a planet, but you can't do anything with it until you flip it and there's no special thing it, about no it one has all. special powers yeah. Yeah. like you make one give a bigger hand size make one give a symbol of some sort or yeah. extra with a resource production or, or, yeah, yeah. That, like there there's a missed opportunity there mm-hmm. yeah and then the technologies because they're all based off of one type of planet like you need three metallics to get a level three metallic mm-hmm. card yeah where is the mixed planet text it's like I have a fertile and an advanced yeah. planet. Where are the techs that I can benefit well, from having mixed And those production? might come with an expansion, but they, they definitely weren't yeah. in the main box. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I know and, there's and, at least a couple of uh, three different expansions out for this game. Um, and I think some of them introduce new technologies and new um, alternate costs in addition to the normal research cost. Okay. A new category of technology, diverse, requiring one planet of each type to research. There you go. Yeah. So, so like in the first expansion, they they address some of these. But you got to yeah. get this stuff in the first game because who yeah. wants to buy an expansion to a game if you didn't like if your first impression if your first bad. impression wasn't very yeah. good. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. buy an expansion and hope it gets better. To fix it. No, like, you're no. just going to get rid of the game yeah. and stick with something else. Yeah. So I, I felt it was a bit. It was slower. It the it like, definitely was slower. Well, we we also forgot to say which yeah, rule and the, and the one rule we missed, missed on the first playthrough um, during the follow action. So in this game, um, whereas like in in Race for the Galaxy, everyone's taking the action at the same time, and if you play that action, you have a bonus. In this game, there's something like that. Um, the person whose turn it is is doing their main action, and quite often it has a leader thing, which it will give them a bonus. But it, there's a couple of ch- instances where it does not. And then you go around the table, and each person has the chance to follow. So they can either do that action or not. Now, what we fr- missed the first time, if you choose not to follow the action, you're supposed to be able to draw a card from your deck to add to your hand. Uh, we totally missed that rule the first time we played it. Uh, the second time, we, we had it in there. Yeah. Um, so that was the one rule we missed. But um, even with that rule in the second time, I didn't enjoy the game more. I actually had a... Like even drawing cards because I was not mm-hmm. following actions because I couldn't follow actions yeah because I didn't have any colonization cards I didn't have my politics card for when it came to my turn right yeah I had trade cards I had technology cards nothing <laughs> I could actually play until I had a planet so it really yeah. soured me on the game mm-hmm. when I'm spending three turns before I can even get a planet to yeah. start participating so mm-hmm. I mean start started off where people can just take actions right away. Yeah, and then I felt the deck building part of this was subpar. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not like other deck builders. It's it, well, there's no chaining. There's yeah. no unique cards to draft to your hand other than the technologies, and even those are pretty standard across until mm-hmm. you get to level twos and threes. Yeah. And it's just one action. It, it's like where is the action that allows you to pull more stuff from your deck? Mm-hmm. Like and play another card and stuff. Like, well, I'm interestingly, legendary they, they, where yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't see that in this game, but but I saw an overabundance of remove cards. Yeah, no one ever even took that action. Yeah, well, and, we can remove like a card. You, yeah. I, I, you know, you're getting that from, you know, from cards. You're getting that from 
um, the technologies. 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 Yeah. And like no nobody's removing cards from the game because who who wants to spend an action to, to get do rid that? of cards? Yeah, yeah. When you, you can, can do just discard yeah. those cards at the end of your turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Exactly. Yeah. So why do you need to get rid of them from your deck so you don't redraw them, I suppose? But who cares when I can just keep drawing cards because and, yeah. I'm passing my action? Yeah, if you don't follow the action, you just get to draw more cards into your hand and have a better chance of yeah. doing what you want to do. Yeah. And then I thought the entire production slash trade aspect of this game was wasted. Yeah. It was definitely yeah, the weakest happens, point. Uh, yeah, point. It, it happened so, so rarely. Because, well, the influence tokens were pointless. You're going to go through those stacks yep. before... You, you those pull influence. influences. Well, I, I think I used them a, a little bit in that first game. Yep. Yeah. You know, you I I, I lucked out. Mm-hmm. Like it was like blind luck. luck that I managed to get three advanced um, planets. Right. Then you could get the higher advanced. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And and so once once I got the you know I had the three advanced planets. I was buying the uh, like the seven point tech, and then afterwards, it, like it was just looking around. At you guys, and you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start doing stuff to get additional points, like icing on the cake, to yep. just make sure that I was out in front. Yeah, didn't didn't care about any more planets. And was it that the was one just, you won? Was yeah. that the, that no, the one first one? Yeah, and it was you know, like it it wasn't even really close. You know, mm-hmm. I was quite handily out in front. Yeah. Um, but that you know, like I I get that was that's pretty rare, but it you know that I think that's the only time I really saw. You know the trade stuff happening was be you know just so that I could because well some you had enough points. points in planets already. I think you would have won essentially based off of your planet score, wouldn't have you? Like you had more planets than uh, you at that the planets and in, in addition to the technology, yeah, right. But like I said, it was just yeah, grab some influence points so that it was just rubbing it in her face. Like, <laughs> well, I'm so far ahead of you, I can just produce. Yeah. Well, it was it was just like that's all that's all I need to do here is go after yeah. really easy, you know, small points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but, and and then the second game, um, was it you that won? No, Marcus did. Mark, Marcus won Marcus that one. Yeah, and then the th- and then yeah, that's right. Marcus won, and the and we we, we were all tied, tied at twelve. <laughs> yeah, for the, the last one. That's right. So and he was at sixteen, I think. So yeah, it wasn't. Like, yeah, it, was it wasn't. A huge it wasn't a big difference. Disparity no. in that one. But then, but then that's what caught me in in the second game was that. So in the first game, I luck out and I get three advanced uh, advanced planets. In in the second one, I couldn't get two. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't get two of the same planet. Well, well, actually, I think I got two by the end. Yeah. But but then you're, you know, if you're if you're going to buy technologies, you just you, there's really nothing that I can buy that's going to give me any points. And the technologies for the, the planets that I had, I think I had Fertile, just they weren't suck. that good. Yeah. Yeah. They you know, crap. it's like, meh, why buy these? Yeah. And, I mean, the, the difference between how you colonize and how you can militarily take over a planet mm-hmm. is so drastic. Yeah. It, well, it's, they, they sort of – and they hamstring you at the beginning too because you only get one military card in your deck at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you have to, to build up your military before you can even take over. So you're playing cards to get ships into your hand but or onto your as, table. As soon as you get your politics card, it should go towards a warfare. Mm-hmm. And then – you should take your first action as warfare if you have your warfare card in your hand. Yeah. Because it is easier to take mm-hmm. over planets because you're not burying cards. And when you colonize a planet, you stick mm-hmm. your colony card under your planet and That's you it. cannot it's, get it back until you've until you've colonized the planet fully. Or with, or, or defeated it with military for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But yeah. if you do military, you play your cards to get your ships and you build up a pool. Yeah. And then those go back then into you, your deck. You spend and then and you spend the ships to to 
yeah, so you, get the you're, you're yeah. putting out a resource that you can spend. So you're not, you don't have to get an exact number. You can be over it so mm-hmm. that it's easier to colonize your next plant. So whenever you play Warfare, you just play all your Warfare, mm-hmm. put out as much ships as you can. Yep. And then when you do your scan and get a planet, your next action is just immediately take over. Mm-hmm. We're colonizing. You have to deplete your deck, put yep. it under there. Mm-hmm. And then your next action, you get to, if you have a colonization card, play it as an action or take the role. It like it just it's poor mechanics. To yeah, it's that. not balanced. Yeah, yeah. It, they both had to be the same in like that regard. Yeah. Colony should have been putting tokens onto the thing on a specific planet, mm-hmm. or even have a pool like the warfare should have been. Right. It just I don't know. It's like they took the the mechanic of well, no, it's like I was thinking like resources from Race of the Galaxy, but it's not even the same thing at all. No. So yeah, no, I don't know. It's very very different. Like yeah. Placing cards under a planet because some of those planets, some of them are you know fairly easy to like your starting ones especially. They're not that hard to flip over. Yeah, they're like two and two. It's like but two and two. It guarantees yeah. that it's two rounds before you can do it. More than likely, Unless yeah, because yeah, you get lucky and you drew two colonies, say, and someone does the colony action before it comes to your turn, mm-hmm. and then on your turn you can take the colony roll and, flip and immediately over your card. flip it. Yeah. You know? So th- there is a way to have a planet in the first turn. Yeah, it just... It just isn't likely. Yeah, and not especially not if you're starting. Yeah, because it's yeah. like two cards out of ten have to come into your hand. Yeah. It, it's going to happen. It's just not going to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the results phase. As I think you already know what <laughs> yeah. that might be. <laughs> yeah, it's um obviously... You can see that he was he was very much copying Race for the Galaxy and just trying to do it in a unique way. So he, he did it in this deck building way. Some people might really like deck builders and this might work for them. But yeah, for me too, um, Race for the Galaxy is the better game. It's um, just a stronger game. It is. It, mm-hmm. It's definitely a stronger game. And that really says a lot when you consider it came out in 2007. And, you know, still, they're both these games are easy to get out there and they're both, they're both affordable games. They're not expensive games. Like when you look at the the wealth of games out there that are in the sixty dollar range, you know, getting games that are in the thirty to forty dollar range like these, it's it's not hard to go out and pick these up, and it's nice. And the expansions too, they're not very you know want to add to these games. You can fairly cheaply, and it, it won't break yeah. your budget. Yeah. So when you bought Eminent Domain, you haven't wasted a lot of money. No. no. <laughs> And, and if the expansions do fix, yeah, yeah maybe the it's issues. Quite possible. I mean, but I don't. I see the base. Yeah, we're a just comparing builder, base games. Subpar. Yep. As a comparison to Race for the Galaxy, it's subpar. Race yeah. for the Galaxy is a better game. Mm-hmm. Well, if somebody out there has the expansion for Eminent Domain and it fixes it, tell us. Yeah. yeah. And looking at these, uh, the first expansion, which I, I do have an expansion for it, and haven't come because I, I did the Kickstarter for, um, what was it Battle Cruisers? Like it was a, a standalone game in the same galaxy called Battle Cruisers. Um, it came with the Exotica. I could get it with the Exotica expansion. I figured, well, I, I want to get this Eminent Domain game anyway, so I have this Exotica, which is the second expansion. Um, but the one that come out came out right after this game called Escalation. It uh, gives new meaning to larger size ships. Because in this game, you get like a bunch of plastic ships, and they're three different sizes. If you've ever seen Eclipse, the base ships that come with Eclipse, they look the same. So you can tell they're probably shared the same um, mold or whatever. Um, but there are three different sizes of ships, but in the base game of Eminent Domain, it doesn't mean anything. They're all worth the same. One ship is one ship. 
um, when you get to this expansion, the larger ships have a different meaning. So I guess they'll do maybe they're worth more. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you get additional roll cards to add a fifth player. So that'll just make the game, make last, the game longer. last longer. Yeah, because in this game, it would make a difference. <laughs> yeah. You get additional technologies, each with an alternate cost in addition to the normal research cost. You get the new category of technology called Diverse, which requires one planet of each type to research. So that's where you can have multiple different types of planets to research this tech. And optional scenarios for asymmetric starting positions and technologies for each player. So that might add something to it, too, making things a little different might make it a bit more interesting maybe, maybe. but again if you it, start with it maybe it, it, you have yeah. to sell me on the base game i'm not yeah. going to yeah. to to hope like mm-hmm. if there's a game out there that does it better for the same theme i'll i'll just go get the better game period yeah mm-hmm. looking at this other one that i do have exotica your civilization has grown to the edge of the known universe to expand farther you'll need to explore exotic worlds and learn their language and customs Mine foreign asteroids for valuable crystal and befriend alien cultures in eminent domain exotica. That seems weird. That just <laughs> do, they, do they start you with a planet? Uh, it doesn't say. <laughs> you've, uh, you've expanded your civilization, but we, there's no planet yet. You yeah. have to take over your first one. Sorry. And here's some alien races to worry about. I don't know. Yeah, it just it. I'd have to I'd have to play them to see I guess but I it guess. just it sounds like lipstick being applied to a pig yeah <laughs> like just like well, yeah. just add more yeah it's add not more gonna, of stuff the it's second... not going to fix the tech cards that yeah. first came with it there's still no. no disparity in power between the abilities of those cards like if anything the first expansion sounds like it does add some stuff to this game that might make it worth it for you so if you really like a deck builder and you and you're sold on the theme then I would probably recommend getting the first expansion with it because it might address a lot of the things that we're talking about here but um but for us i like i say i like race yeah. i think we're all going race in this race. one so it's race for the but galaxy I, the I, i'm gonna do one thing further yep. if, if you like race i'd, I'd upgrade to roll get roll. oh yeah definitely get yeah <laughs> and, and well no. although like i said there there is there's more expansion available for race yes. oh there's tons of expansion there's expansions for roll now there's like at least one maybe two but that's that's still not as much as no. as race. Yes, and in that one, it's and and race yeah. will start off as a good game. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Yes. The race, race definitely will start off as a good game. And like so I said, yeah. my only complaint with it was was that I I thought there should be more, more starting, starting planets. planets to give a little bit more yeah. um, you feel variability. Stuck a little bit when some, you get a certain planet. Well, and yeah. some replayability to it yeah. too. Like I, yeah. you know, ah, oh, this this one again. Well, I mean, there you know, if you're only starting with five, yeah, you're going to see that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. so. But um, and it does look like at least the very first expansion for race gives you some more starting planets. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised if there's more in some other expansions. So you could get a lot more variety yeah. there. So um, it's definitely a good thing to pick up yep, expansions yep, yep. for that one as well. But race is nice and quick, mm-hmm. and yep. it, it flows nicely, like well designed. It's yep. definitely the winner for mine. Yeah, absolutely. And there we go. Okay, um, now moving on to our second segment. Mordekainen's Toma of Foles. Fowls. Foes. Toma of Foles. Foes. Like ducks? Yeah, that's right. Toma of Fowls. Fowls or Foles like the horse. No. Toma of Foes. The new book put out by um, Wizards of the Coast uh, this past month. Um, again, in two covers. You have the standard cover and then the alternate. I, got, I, I went ahead and pre-ordered it so I could get the alternate cover. Yeah, I should have. 
yeah, it is a nice it's, cover. It is a very nice cover, the yeah. alternate. Yeah, the it's, only, the only nice problem with my match. pre-order was that... Uh, you were out of town. I, yeah, I was I was going to be away up. when it was released, and so I... Well, I mean, I, I may still look around. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be a, a shop in town that's going to that's oh, going to have it. Potentially, they're just yeah. going to they're just going to like bend me over on the price. <laughs> maybe, I'm sure. Yeah, you, you know, unfortunately, you can't beat you know getting it from Amazon, the non um, yeah. alternate cover, but you just can't beat that price. No, yeah, it's it's hard yeah. to beat the Amazon price. But when, that when that I alternate art, I mean, it is beautiful. It is a, yeah, it's beautiful. I I like it better than the uh, I did. I saw the Xanathar's Guide alternate art. It's okay. But it didn't grab like this art. It, does, it didn't uh, grab you like this art. Yeah, this is it's just like it's nice, like a metallic kind of blue and gold, and it's just the way the picture looks. It's just beautiful. And the flap, like yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Well, even, it's not glossy. It's flat. Even the yeah. like the beautiful. title itself, the the, the way the, the lettering and, is yeah. in the font. Yeah, it just it, they they put a lot of effort into the alternate on this yeah. one, and it was worth it. Yeah. No, absolutely. So in in this in this book now looking even inside it it's more along the veins of Volo's Guide in a way as a, as opposed mm-hmm. to like Xanathar or anything like that in that um, th- there's a there's a good bestiary in it um, that'll add quite a bit to your campaign if you really are looking for more unique creatures um, and they do range in, in power all the way from you know one eighth um, CR all the way 26. up to twenty six yeah. So this is this is the book you're, you're going to want if you want to throw some really high powered creatures into your campaign when your when your characters start getting up to that higher level. Um, not most of really them, a great players resource. Though. No, like, not a player's the lore resource. Is interesting if you're interested in yeah, lore. Yeah, that's right. But the the player resource aspect of it. This is a DM tool. And yeah, it's, a, it's, it's totally a fairly DM. good DM tool. But um, it's a DM tool. There is a little bit if you're introducing some of those alternate races. There's a little bit in here for that. There's like some alternate elves, alternate, um, you know, if you want to play the Dugar, you can. Uh, they have the gif, um, the different the types of gif you can turn into a player race with this. And I think, I'm not sure if there was something for the gnomes and halflings, I don't remember. They they just mention stuff like, yeah. they didn't give the special rules to be a kender if you're on Kryn, for right. instance. They just right. mention that the kender exist. Yeah, so and... th- there's, there's some places where they might have been able to do a bit, bit more with that. But um, but they do have some player resources for people who want to play some of these alternates. But again, you don't buy this just for that. Um, your DM would buy this, and then you'd have access to it, kind of. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, like the extra gods for each race were nice. So you're not picking yep. generic god, not all elf that, yeah, all worshiping the same god. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's not essential. And most of the stuff, other than the, I think it was elves that. Because they had all the Eladrin sub races and stuff. Yeah, they had like the 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 type that are tied to the season, like the autumn yeah. elves. And so the yeah. the Eladrin and the elf subclasses were probably where a player would get the most use out of it. Yeah, and maybe gnomes because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they they went into the I'm not even gonna bother trying to pronounce the deep gnome people. Oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, <starts laughs> the Forgotten the Realms deep gnomes. <laughs> yeah, this. Well, what the hell is that now? It's been a while since I've uh, looked at that word, so I don't remember how, how it's spelt. It's, uh, you know, if I looked at the freaking index, it would tell me. <laughs> are you but, sure? Because they're notoriously bad indexes. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, where are you? Deep gnomes, which. Where the hell are you? They're after halflings. 
Yeah, I know. I'm looking at gnomes, but I don't see the word. Why am I not seeing the word? They might have just called them rock gnomes or something That's before, because they, they go like this is a good resource in that it describes stuff for each of their different settings. Yeah. So it's a generic rock gnome. It might be that on Greyhawk or right. Yeah. Grin yeah. or something, and then for Faroon, it is. The S name. The S name. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I know it's long. And... I know, and it's like, it's like SV something. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit of, a little bit of history. If if you're not already familiar with who Mordekainen is, Mordekainen was originally Gary Gygax's character in D&D. He's, he had this mage called Mordekainen, um, and then I think it got, it got to the point where they just made him one of the main NPCs, like high up wizards of the Greyhawk realm. And so great because Greyhawk was the first real full, you know, full fledged kind of realm that they came out with before um, uh, Forgotten Realms got developed and became and overtook everything. Yeah. Everything became Forgotten Realms after that. But Mordekainen was was yeah, the character churned um, legend and then um, had this whole history behind him that uh, has now resulted in you know he's worked with bigby and or made bigby work for him and wrote this book that's the whole sort of story behind the book is he's um bigby and someone else has has helped pull together all of mordekainen's knowledge into this this book and all his research um and he's mordekainen's very much the um i don't want to call him like I wouldn't say he's necessarily a true kind of neutral character, but he's very much he look he, he's looking at the conflicts between these sides is not sides not necessarily choosing sides, but you know giving you no, he's actually encouraging conflict in some in some cases. places yeah that's right like he's sort of encouraging conflict in some places, um, yeah it's just is an interesting um, concept for a character, mm-hmm. uh, for for a a personality, and so yeah the the good two-thirds of the book the first two-thirds are mostly history um taking you through um the first um section is all about the the main um the demons and the devil's feud um the blood war and such um in in great detail and telling you about all the different personalities that are are sort of pulling the strings on each side and and how they're trying to keep a balance between everything um so it it depends on how you're feeling on it. It might be interesting reading to you. It might not. Well, it was interesting reading. I yeah. I grow tired of the the world is in a precarious balance type of thing. Yeah, one thing could I shove mean, it over its side, but never does. They're describing yeah. the, the devil-demon war. Mm-hmm. And it's always, oh, if one side gets the advantage, then everyone better watch out. But there's so many powerful characters that can... Mm-hmm just put these people down they're, they're yeah. talking about two planes of existence when there's how many other it's yeah. like the angels aren't involved in this if they felt like there's going to be an issue i'm pretty sure they'd get involved and <laughs> yeah, put a yeah. stop to it like mm-hmm. it, it's it's a little too doom and gloom for me but the story's still yeah interesting it's an me. interesting story but yeah it can't like you said doom and gloom it is a little bit of yeah you go well i mean it's, it, that a bit. it's meant to be mythology and yeah and i think that's uh, I, I think that's part and parcel of any mythology mm-hmm. is, you know, well, you know, this that's... idea of there, there needs to be balance and, and the universe is constantly teetering. Yeah. And so I, I think to, to that end, I mean, they, they, you know, they probably captured that 
quite well. Mm-hmm. But but you know, in, in a in, in a practical sense, you know, how how's that <laughs> how's that gonna impact your, your campaign? Yeah. It likely isn't. Well, yeah. and the the reason I had an issue with it is because they were trying to present it less as mythology and more as current events mm. when you read it. Right. Like it's, this is well, ongoing and your player characters could play for either it. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Well, I mean, I, I guess in one, I mean, it's current for Mordenkainen, I guess. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <but>. sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I think it, I think it's, you know, it's there to, to, you know, like I said, as a DM resource to to provide some, you know, some history, mythology, and and you know, tapestry, you know, that you can kind of, you know, paint your own campaign. Yeah, it's, on. I think but, it's meant to inspire. Yeah, right. But, yeah, and I think a lot of this is also like, isn't the one adventure out of the abyss might have might touch into some of this? Maybe it might, because um, I do mention the abyss in here. Yeah, how 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 these creatures will sort of bleed into the abyss or something, or come out of the abyss, and and so it's it's quite possible. I haven't looked at that adventure. I do own it because um, I had thought of one time potentially running it, um, but it's quite possible that uh, yeah, even looking at some of these chapters of Out of the Abyss, I bet you if you're running that adventure. I bet you having this as a resource would be pretty handy. It'll give you the major players. And yeah. It'll probably give you a little bit more variety of demons that you can throw at people so it's not the same thing over mm-hmm. and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, they talk about demon lords. They, they use an appendix of demon lords and different creatures. But then you maybe combine that with some of the creatures in here so that things don't get too samey. You know, you're not always going against, you know, the same creatures all the time. You can get a little bit of variety. Um, that'd probably be definitely worth it for you. Zverf um, Neblin. Oh, found really? It. Found oh, it? Zverf Neblin. Top of the page on the left. Oh, God. In the top of the paragraph. Yeah, S-V-I-R-F-N-E-B-L-I-N. Yeah. Zverf Neblin. Oh, man. <laughs> and they don't even have, like, a pronunciation they don't, I guide. don't think so. <laughs> well, I, I, it was probably meant to be something else, and they just didn't hit spell check. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> like, someone just said, okay, I hit a bunch of yeah. characters on my keyboard. Looks good. I'll go with it. It's supposed to be exotic. <laughs> yeah. But, it was uh, it was three in the morning and we couldn't think of a good name. Yeah. But, I think uh, I think the part I enjoyed most about this book from the lore standpoint mm-hmm. was probably the elves. The elven side. I, yeah. I did like the story of why elves are long lived, mm-hmm. why they're essentially immortal, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it did it did add a lot of stuff that you could tie in to a, a player character's background mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of tables that are added in there but yep. in the same breath i think this book also took away the purpose for both elves and dwarves to be adventurers oh did it yeah because mm. so? they they describe them as being aloof not really caring about what's going on in the right. world uh elves in particular it's like yeah, we don't really care because we live 500 years mm-hmm. and we're going to get resurrected. So well, we don't need to adventure. We prefer <laughs> to stick with our own kind because we don't want to make connections to short-lived races. Right, yeah. So it it kind of takes that away from them. And then the dwarves, it's like very few dwarves actually leave their homes because they put all of their effort and stuff into clan and family. Mm-hmm. So it kind of... I don't know. It, it was a good story, but it's like the people who are adventuring with these races 
shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, and I think even in the main book, and I'm not, I can't remember 100%, but don't they talk about how usually when you're an adventurer of one of these races, you're the outlier typically. You're like, you don't yeah. necessarily hold the same views as those. Particularly uh, the elves. Essentially, yeah. if you're an adventurer, you're an outcast. Yeah. It, well, and it's not like universal. Definitely no. not universal. But it, it very much is you really didn't belong with the other elves kind of thing. Or you had a specific reason why you were adventuring. Maybe yeah. The further. And I don't think most player characters have that specific reason. Typically, no. I want to be an elf. And then yeah. that's it. That's, like that's as far as you've gone with it. They're looking yeah. at the stat bonuses. Yeah, stat yeah, bonuses. Exactly. Ooh, sun elf sounds neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true, true. No, and when it comes to player characters, you, you sort of bend and, and, and you know. Yeah, you got to let them be what they want. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you you don't want the player characters to feel trapped into a specific role necessarily true yeah you don't want them to get the idea that oh i have to role play like this no you don't have to you don't have that no yeah Yeah. and then i I also i don't know how if you guys haven't read fully the dwarf section no i assume i'm still going through it it's it's a lot of text it is but the dwarf duergar Mm -hmm. stuff just pissed me off oh did it yes (laughs) so the the (laughs) gist of it is the Duogar were like other dwarves, and Illithids took control of their minds and made them do something. Oh, okay. And they were the slaves of the Illithids for a long period of time. They made a deal with the main devil, Asmodeus, I think his name was, Yep. to help free them from the Illithids. So he follows through on his part of the bargain. They escape the Illithids' control, go back up to the surface. They meet other dwarves, and the dwarves are like, you guys suck, you're heretics. And they're like, but... We were we were controlled. We were controlled. Yeah, we, we're mind control. They're like, too bad. We hate you, and that was that. And now they're at war. They hate each other. So it, it was sort of like the devils, um, playing around with their deals. Like, yeah, I'll get you free, but no one's going to accept you. Well, no, Moradin had already, they're like the dwarven god Moradin yeah. had already declared them heretics. Heretics, I guess. It was just well, once like tainted. I mean, yeah, right. But they came back and they're like, hey, welcome. Like, uh, hello, our fellow dwarves. We've been, you know, trapped. No one seemed to care. You just left us down there. Thanks. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, screw off. We hate you. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, we <laughs> like dwarves that don't get captured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do better. That's right. <laughs> so that part of the dwarf story was annoying. Uh-huh. The, the halfling and gnome section reduced my hatred of halflings and gnomes a little, which was oh, impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah, Because mm. uh, <laughs> I have this... You don't yes. like little people. Unbridled hate of Avalanche. <laughs> yeah. You don't like the little people. We understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's because I was introduced to Kender first, and I loved Kender. And then oh. Halflings were just kind of this sub sub Kender. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't the same. Once you go Kender, yeah. I never really got into Dragonlance, so I. It was my first yeah. introduction to the novels before I found Forgotten Realms stuff after. Right, right. So, I, I mean, Kender and then Halflings came along, and mm-hmm. I think. Regis, that that that's the companion of Dritz, right? I think oh. he was my first introduction to a halfling character in Forgotten Realms. I can't remember his name. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read those books. Yeah, and yeah. he he was a horrible character in my mind. <laughs> and I liked Salvatore's writing. Like, yeah, I, I do enjoy it. He, I the character was meant to be that way. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he kind of tainted my opinion of mm. them. Where you have Tasselhoff and Dragonlance, who was fun and mm-hmm. you know the the needed comic relief in a lot of situations that when that novel's 
became dark. It's right. like he was there yeah. to lighten the mood where Regis was like just there to do stupid things. It's yeah. Like, um... yeah, and I never I never read the Dragon Dance ones. I started with pretty much all of Ari Salvatore's stuff. So like, you know, the Drist stuff, but also yeah. like the Carrot Canticle. Yeah. Which is my favorite my favorite ones because I I love um what's that dwarf wants to be uh, a druid. Oh, oh I, yes. The, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, though. I do know who you're yeah. talking about. I can't remember. He's my favorite. <laughs> so Because yeah. he has them mix up like they do a meet up in one of his books i believe yeah i think they do two of them yeah so um yeah those that was my first introduction to reading the D &D style books and yeah i never really got into the dragon dance ones i knew a lot of people just loved dragon dance but i I just never got there yeah yeah but um no anyway so it's good to know like i like i obviously haven't read through the whole book like um that part i have gone through some of the monsters and some really interesting monsters in here which is kind of cool um a lot more to add for aberrations and undead than like your standard stuff, which is kind of which is nice. I like the expansion on the ogre types as well. Yeah, they yeah. give you a bunch more ogres you can play with. And as is typical with the WizKids version of D anD D, that their artwork is usually pretty high yeah. quality. Yeah, I, I think there was a there was I think two pictures that stood out to me in the book that I thought were a little cartoonish compared to the rest. And is that it was this guy. Oh yeah, no, I forgot. I was going to mention the gif. So there's so three we'll, then. We'll, we'll three get pictures. to the gif, but you know there was a, a dwarf picture oh, okay. and a halfling picture that were kind of mm. a little, little less okay. subpar quality. Yeah, sure. The, the gif for just uh, hippopotamus men that walking hippopotamuses. Yeah, like what? But I was surprised to see it because they're mm -hmm. a spacefaring race. I think yeah, it and that was like spelljammer. Yeah. yeah, and they they haven't mentioned that aspect of D D in a while as far as i remember yeah so it was a little surprising to see them there and they are just kind of ridiculous looking that's that's their species yeah they're meant to look that way so they did it right no <laughs> and the picture is a nice picture yeah. it's just a weird it's just yeah. a weird creature, <laughs> weird thing right? to see like there's a, a dude like, all dressed in a regal kind of clothing hippopotamus with a monocle what yeah. The hell? <laughs> yeah what's going on <laughs> yeah but no yeah the artwork is is beautiful yeah for, for the most part like you said um it's all yeah ever nice. since the ever since 5e yeah. They've, yeah. they've really got themselves some well, amazing even, artists. Even 4th edition, as shit as 4th edition was, it, they had good art. It, it's still, yeah. like, the, their artists have been producing like this, decent though. quality. It wasn't quite like no, this. No, no, it wasn't like this. I, I mean, this takes it to a whole new upgrade. level. Yeah. Well, 4th edition, yeah, there's an old picture. That's even from, like, well, the old oh, yeah. book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the 4th edition was more, I almost want to say, like, a stylistic in a architect not architectural kind of way but in like a i don't know what you want to call it what is that like because it, it wasn't like the pictures were very much almost like art in in um in progress wasn't it like yeah some of it was like it wasn't like fully finished sketch. almost sketch that's what i'm thinking of yeah. sketch mm -hmm. style yeah a lot of it not all of it but there was a, quite a bit of that in fourth edition Whereas and this, some of it was yeah. kind of there was the influence of uh, anime in some of it as mm -hmm. well. That's true. And yeah. I I didn't particularly enjoy yeah. those, but mm -hmm. there there was. I mean, I like I like anime, and, and it has its place, but not not in D and D. Yeah, in D &D. not not in this. And at least they're very consistent in this. Like for the most, like the art is very good, and it all even if it's different artists, it all sort of seems it, to flow together. Yeah, it, it matches itself. Yeah doesn't matter if it's a demon to an ogre that the style is mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. it all and it all works and yeah when you get to the higher cr stuff you're getting into a lot of like demons and devils um that's your higher level 
um, CR ratings. So if you do get to campaigns and th- at that level, like the higher twenties and then up, just just expect that you're going to be going against mostly mythical or like mythological kind of stuff. Like, so if you don't have a problem with that, then you know go for it. Well, it's it's hard to make high level high level creatures. normal creatures because. Yeah. I mean, by the time a character is reaching even level 15, their power is, Mm -hmm. like, off the charts compared to any average person. It's like you could walk through a city and probably lay waste to it by yourself. Yeah. Unless there's, like, you know, a special protector there who's of adequate level. So normal beings just don't fit that category. So you have to start ramping up with supernatural kind of stuff. And it does tend to make higher level stuff all sort of generic with D&D, which is why most campaigns seem to tail off around that point, like mm-hmm. level 12, level 15, you start seeing people kind of fade away in most of the campaigns I've done. Yeah, you can, you can do a Tarrasque level challenge yeah. rating 30. <laughs> Just have it pop out of the ground and eat everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take care of everything for you. I didn't realize that Tarrasque is 30. Holy cow, I, I thought 26 was the highest, but no, 30, jeez. Yeah, he's he's like you know, awake once every well. That's the thing. He's supposed to be sleeping. Thing, right? Don't wake him up. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you wake him up, everybody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, so I guess they they already had a few larger things that. Well, obviously some of the higher level dragons too. They get up there a bit. Not that level of CR, but even a purple worms only fifteen. Yeah. So any any speculation where they go from here? They've got they've done um, tales of the awning portal where they. I can't remember the, bar, well, was the like barman's a, name. Bolo? Um, no, no, the no. barman. Oh, the... Do you remember his name was? Yeah, the guy in charge of the uh, yawning portal. Yeah. But, I mean, so, you, you know, they're they're tying this resource to a, a character. And then, of course, they've got Volo. And now Morinkainen. You know, just sort of, like, like bringing out these resource, well, if they're, resource tomes that if they're going you know, towards, are tied to like, a character. If they're going the characters that like the creators of these games made famous that they, they probably have to go with El Minister probably because that was the other guy. It was well, he's Gary like the Gygax's. big Forgotten, Forgotten Realms one. Yeah. yeah. So there's El Minister they could go to for a mm-hmm. thematic. And is there, is there, I don't know, is there more material? Oh, I'm sure they'll. Well, they, they, they only did a sort of a brief summary of like, halflings and gnomes like it, there's a lot less content there than there was for elves say so that they could always expand more there's there's other races that they could expand upon if they wanted to do specific like regions so you know a more, a more oriental human society a more african like human society like that there is a lot of human societies they can mm-hmm. expand into to give people more background information. So yeah, they could definitely do more. Yeah. It's not, types, it's yeah. not as interesting say as going into the history of the elves cause it's just humans, mm-hmm. but there's yeah, definitely material there. Yeah. And if they continue this whole thing where they go from like a, a resource that's more DM centric to one that's more player centric, then I guess after this would be something more geared towards players again. So I guess we'll have to see what they come up with that. Um, I don't know how much more they could do with that. Yeah, I feel like they've almost... Like Xanathar's was a great expansion. Yeah, um, But the subclasses, there were some that were 
like amazing yep and then there were the others it was just kind of like it's a little bit of the same Mm -hmm. probably not as good as the stuff from the main book yeah so you got to be careful whenever you bring out extra subclass stuff because Mm -hmm. it can be completely overbalanced and no one wants to be part of a party where they're just the ones sitting there watching someone who's super powerful do everything do everything yeah so it's i think it's it takes longer to get a player resource because they really have to be careful. And with. they have to really play test it. Yeah. I'm sure they have to play test this stuff too for some of the creatures, but, but it's easier it's to throw history. A, it's, yeah. it's easier to throw out a creature stat line. Yeah. Because the players have to figure out a way to beat it. It's not the onus isn't on the DM to be like, How do I check this player's power? The yeah. onus yeah. is on the players to figure out how do I defeat this thing. And it's yeah. okay if it's overpowered as long as the players realize, okay, we have to run. Yeah, like, we, we're not ready for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's like you don't have to kill everything the moment you meet it. You have to <laughs> think about self-preservation like no. <laughs> and yeah. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and sometimes you're not supposed to beat it. Yeah, sometimes it's supposed to be a hook for mm-hmm. a further character mm-hmm. or further story development and stuff like that, right? So, I mean, open-end adventures are always the best for players because it gives them the control over what they do and they just have to realize that they might overextend themselves at times because they went somewhere a little too quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's much easier to throw in this impossible to beat thing that, well, if you encounter him the first time and figure this out, you can go and collect the resources to defeat him later. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I can see player resources coming out. It might take them a while to get, like, to match Xanathar's yeah. content. Yeah. True, because I know even before Volo came out, they had that Sword Coast Adventures guide, which is very light on the players' resources. Yeah. Really, it that one probably out of all that they've released, I think it's the weakest of what they've done. It's more, it was more of a history one too, but is almost history more geared towards maybe the players than it is. But no, well, I guess it's more the DMs because it does go a lot of history of the Sword Coast and what affiliations were in the Sword Coast and that kind of thing. But I did hear rumors that they are looking into doing resource books now for other worlds so which would be interesting because like there's reboot eberron or yeah, dark sun dark sun would be great crin like yeah. the 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 worlds that kind of fell by the wayside after what probably 3.5 mm-hmm. started to really neglect them for forgotten realms yeah and i mean these resources have started mentioning them quite frequently where like the halfling section made sure to mention in dark sun halflings are these cannibal little bastards yeah that just you know will destroy anybody who comes into their territory compared to the other halflings in the worlds that are friendly and stay hidden and kind of stick to themselves yeah because really all they've really mentioned is because they released stuff for ravenloft because they did yep. the whole ravenloft campaign but ravenloft's great because it links all the material planes mm-hmm. like yeah. anybody who is you can get to ravenloft from anywhere can yeah. be sucked into ravenloft mm-hmm. so it's a great tool who is that death knight who got sucked into ravenloft strahd um, or something like no not strahd. no no strahd is the the the, the vampire yeah. overlord of, of ravenloft but there was that one death knight yeah from dragonlance uh, yeah he got he got sucked into ravenloft that was an interesting book i can't remember what his name was though yeah But yeah, if they would release more stuff again, I never really got into Dragonlance, but I'd like to see a, a thing like a, a world book for Dragonlance. Well, and the reason that he got pulled in, I'm sure, is because he was such a popular villain. Yeah, in the original novels, that they're like, "Hey, we can go into his backstory," and it was a good book where mm-hmm. they they well, I mean, 
It's a good book. I I read it when I was in like grade seven. <laughs> so maybe time nowadays ago. it may not hold it, up. Who knows? Yeah, but. <laughs> exactly. When yeah. I was in grade seven, it held up. But yeah. Now yeah. I don't know. It's been a while since I've picked it up. But mm-hmm. it it when it gave you a character who was a villain that you actually liked as the villain. It's yeah. Kind of like Darth Vader mm-hmm. aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, it's mm-hmm. like here's his backstory and the tragedy of what he was, and the tragedy of what happened to him afterwards because he became so evil. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah. And him becoming imprisoned in Ravenloft, it was a great story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. I I remember liking it too. It was just, I was probably a bit older than that when I read it because I'm older than you, but (laughs) I I remember enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah. Because I I read a few of those Ravenloft books because I can't remember. There was quite a few of them, and I, I read the first, I don't know, four yeah, or five were, of them. Yeah, they were mostly all one-offs, too, yeah, right? Yeah, they, they were mainly one-offs with, with sort of Strahd as the main yeah. guy, back guy in the back of the story, but not necessarily kind always about manipulating everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, next for, for them to be releasing, not on a reference side, but more of an adventure side, they're coming out with... Dragon Heist. Yeah, Dragon Heist, which is their sort of intro adventure before you get into the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Which is covers this the Underdark one? Yeah. The Dungeon of the Mad Mage is definitely Underdark. With I don't know how many levels of Underdark they're covering, but it's supposed to be quite a bit because Underdark is huge. Well, from what I understand. Undermountain. 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 Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. What I, I, from what I understood, this is going to be like a high level adventure, yeah, too. Not... Because the, the first intro one is like character levels one to five. So mm-hmm. they, separ- they sort of separated it. They have like the intro, which is taking the first five levels before you get into the big Undermountain stuff, which is dungeon of the mad mage which takes you supposedly from levels five to twenty yeah cool. um, yeah be the a... first really ambitious mm-hmm. high level campaign yeah, yeah. five to twenty yeah I, I would really love to see though that if them actually bring out material for their other worlds at some point like mm-hmm. yeah i'd really love yeah. to see dark sun in particular oh i love it, dark it was sun. so dark it so was great different as a D setting it's mm-hmm. a nice break from the high magic forgotten realms type mm-hmm. environment to all of a sudden put you in this place where you want to be a wizard there's consequences yeah you know it's, like it's rough on you and you can be powerful but yeah you're more likely you're a gladiator and you're like yeah. you could be like half giants and mm-hmm. stuff like that because the world's so terrible that you need all the help you can get yeah <laughs> so, it was an interesting i didn't get to play enough in it i played it a bit and i'd like to explore it more well and this and mordekainen's mm-hmm. is the reason i'm saying this because it it reminded me that these other worlds, other existed. worlds, had such a rich background mm-hmm. that has been neglected for so long. Yeah. So, I'm hoping that them bringing these things into this book is a sign that they are starting to pay attention to people wanting different settings other than Forgotten Realms all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and and a lot of their campaigns, even it's already right in there. If you want to adapt this for this world, mm-hmm. just set it here, mm-hmm. kind yep. of thing. So the idea is out there for them it's just support the people who want to play in those worlds a little bit better and maybe yeah. it's not worth their production costs i don't know but it would be nice to see yeah it would be no and you know i think there's probably demand for it yeah um dragon lance dark sun maybe even i never really got into Spelljammer either so i don't know if that was a good one i never liked dragon lance as a campaign setting i liked it as a story setting and that was the problem i had with it like when you got the materials for dragon lance in D D. It was more reference material. It wasn't really a, a setting. It was more well, it's here's like, the adventures and here's how it how it interacts with the books. The, yeah, it was. It's like, all about the books. Th- there's yeah. these very important people going around doing important things, and then there's you. 
Yeah, you can. You might stuff interact anymore. with them if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it was sort of it was a bit lacking as far as a player reference was. You know, back it was then. a good setting. It just did yeah. just because the adventures were all tying into the books because people love the books. Yeah, it yeah it, it felt lacking for that reason because the reason the books were good is that was their campaign sessions mm-hmm. that they adapted into a story and you didn't want to repeat what they did you nope. wanted to do your own thing in this mm-hmm. setting so yeah you wanted to live in this setting you wanted to, yeah which is why i say i'd like to see dark sun because yeah there was no real there were well there was books on dark sun but it was nothing like that it wasn't and eberron i think I Eberron's what they're eberron gonna either. do i yeah. i did some in eberron uh, i think the most i did in eberron was ddo on yeah ddo because was it took place on it yeah until but, they started getting the rights to do Forgotten Realm stuff. Yeah. But Yabaron's yeah, an acquired taste. I didn't quite. Mm-hmm. It, it has Because it introduced constructs and, and stuff. Like you could yeah, be the a living, construct. Yeah, the living constructs. Yeah. And the dragon marks and eternal war stuff. It, it, it's, like I said, it's an acquired taste. If you're a little more steampunk you want, desire, yeah. it, it fulfills that, I think. That's but, true. If you're really into steampunk, then yeah, Eberron would be a good world for that. But it's yeah. still similar to Forgotten Realms, just with a little bit of Because it had a lot of flying ships and stuff, too. Yeah. And then... Bound elementals. Yeah. 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 And a lot of technology, using like tech, using magic to create technology that worked and mm-hmm. existed permanently kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we can hope, we can hope and see what, what they come up with next. No, they haven't disappointed quite yet. Like, no, no, no. There have been some light content books, but the books have been mm-hmm. worthwhile. No, I, I haven't regretted really even Sword Coast Adventures Guide. While it hasn't been, wasn't like my favorite. It was still a good resource. Although I, I'm sure the party hates Volos <laughs> <laughs> after paying money in game for. <laughs> yeah, Volo. <laughs> Though it is nice as a player character to be able to actually take Bodo's guide and, and reference is, something. Yes, you it can actually kind of look up satisfying. the monster. Yes. As opposed, I wish I had a monster manual. No, you can't have that. Yeah. And uh, once, if, once if you you're ever in a tavern and the, and the table's a little wobbly, you can always jam it under the lid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of entertaining in, in the cult yeah. adventure. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, anyways, uh, that's probably a good place to call it for today. Um, so until next time, thanks for listening. You can follow us on our website at www.boardnowgaming.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, um, Google. You can subscribe to us on Google Play, on Stitcher, or even uh, Apple iTunes. If you uh, feel up to it, you know, s- send us a rating on one of those. Um, I don't think we even had any ratings, so people who are listening, hopefully you're, hopefully you're enjoying it if you're still listening. Thanks. And, uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you want to. Get your asses and rate. Yeah, come on, give us a rate. I'm not begging for ratings. No. If you want to rate us, that'd be cool, but you don't have to. I, I don't really care. Um, rate us or Jeff dies. <laughs> well, we now don't want, not you don't want to see Jeff get hurt, do you? <laughs> no. um, BGG? Anyway, uh, yeah, follow us on BGG. At our, we have a guild on BGG where we post all of our shows and um, our show notes. So you can reach out to us there. You know, you can send us an email through the site. You can reach out to us on Twitter or BGG or whatever. Um, if you have any suggestions on future shows, you know, do you think you think you know of a good pairing that we could uh, talk about? Let me know, and I'll, I'll I'll throw it on the list, and we'll see if we can get to it. That'd be great. But um, anyways, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep on gaming. Good night. Board now.